And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. I am the host, Ray Silva. Don't forget, you can hear our podcast through Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, our brand new platform, podpage.com forward slash pro sports RGV. And fans, if you like to listen to your podcast on Amazon, Alexa, we're pretty soon going to be launching there. And also coming up uh, next week, I'm going to have a fan who has attended the Houston Texans training camp as well. So be on the lookout for that episode next week. But for this week's episode, I'd like to welcome in KRGV Sports director Alex Del Barrio, who recently attended Dallas Cowboys training camp, and they're getting ready to launch a big old special of high school football here shortly. Uh, Alex, how are you? How's everything going? And uh, good to have you back on the show. Yeah, Ray, I'm glad to be back on with you. I know it's, uh, you know, uh, it's a busy time, I think, for all of us as we get set for another season of not just high school football here in the Valley, but just football in general, uh, keeps us kind of, kind of all busy, uh, with obviously the NFL, you know, going to training camp and all that, and, uh, getting ready for that season. Of course, the high school preparations, we've got our high school football preview show to get ready for, uh, and then just the start of the season and just doing what we do, do best at care GV. And that's try to put on the best, uh, high school football coverage that, uh, that we could do. And then, um, but obviously the, the, with the, the fall comes a lot of stuff going on men's and women's soccer utrgv and uh obviously the toros are still playing so there's there's just a lot happening uh, right now so busy time for all of us but uh, good to be on with you absolutely you know and you talk about keeping everything on our toes you know and, and i'll, and I'll uh, ask you something that hasn't kept us on our toes you know uh mahmoud abdel fatah he's departed now for the houston rockets and I know it's kind of a, of a difficult subject to touch here, but uh, have you heard any news upon the Vipers trying to look for a new head coach? Now you've been with the organization for, you've worked with the organization for so many years and you've seen a lot of coaching changes within the organizations, either uh, call-ups to the NBA or getting national team jobs. Um, where would you probably think that search is going and, uh, how soon do you think we'll hear an announcement? Uh, that's a very good question, Ray. I think when you've looked at how they've uh, approached different uh, hires in the past, it's always been kind of like uh, different every single time. Uh, when they hired Chris uh, Finch, who's now the head coach of the Timberwolves, um, that was when the Rockets had just barely taken over basketball ops. And like at that time, no one really wanted these jobs as it's not in terms of uh, if you're a, if you're a, a college coach looking to get into pro, like the money wasn't the same. So you just kind of stayed in college. Actually, what a lot of people, a lot of people don't remember that uh, Dave Lato actually took the job uh, to be the Vipers head coach um, when uh, when Clay had gotten fired and the Rockets had taken over basketball ops and wanting to wanting to hire a new coach, and then Dave Lato kind of pulled out. Uh, he, Dave Lato's you know been around the block with 
different college teams. I think he coached at DePaul, and I think he coached at uh, um, uh, Virginia uh, in, during his career. Um, and, and Chris was not the, the, the number one choice. He obviously ended up taking the job, and, take, you know, obviously great things happened. We won the championship that year. But it wasn't a sought-after job because it was a new thing to have these hybrid affiliations. Um, then as, as after Chris left, you know, Nick Nurse was already in the league. He had been with the Iowa Energy, uh, with which was an unaffiliated franchise at the time, or at least not affiliated uh, in the same way that the Vipers were. Uh, so he, he took the job, uh, obviously, you know, he had the pedigree of a, of a championship winning coach already. They, the energy had beaten the Vipers for the championship the previous season before he took the job. So, um, you know, he was a, he was the commodity that already existed elsewhere in the league. Then when you look when Nick left and they, you know, they went the, the route of, of going with Nevada Smith, uh, you know, they wanted somebody kind of new and fresh and new ideas and things like that. He kind of came from honestly out of nowhere. Uh, and then you look at everybody who's been hired since, they've all kind of been in the Rockets system. And I kind of think that that's been the transition in terms of how they're approaching this job now with a, with with us being very close to one-to-one affiliation around uh, the G League and the NBA, that you're already grooming your next head coach, uh, you know, whether it's all someone already on the Viper staff or someone in the Rocket staff up in Houston, I kind of think that that's the route that's going to happen. Um, but I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure. I haven't heard a lot of rumblings from the outside of anybody, um, you know, kind of moving into that, that spot from elsewhere in the league, like another head coach, um, because you're starting to see a situation now where all those head coaches around the league, they're all employed by, by the parent clubs now. It's not like back in the day, 10 years ago, where, you know, the head coaches were sometimes being paid locally. Uh, now you're at the your situation where the ownership's not really involved in the coaching search. The team is doing it entirely. They're paying for that. And they're paying a little bit more than they used to uh, for these head coaching positions. So uh, I think they're going to try to use them to promote talent from within. And uh, I think that's kind of be the direction that we'll see with the Rockets moving forward. I'll be very surprised. Uh, if it's not Rashid Hazard or Evan Harville or somebody else at the basketball staff in Houston. Absolutely, Alex. And, uh, you know, uh, moving on from from topics for a bit, you, you know, um, you, you've been a, a broadcaster the vast uh, for the good for a good portion of your career. Um, and, you know, the, the, the entire baseball world was shaken with the uh, death of Vince Scully. Um, and you yeah. just talk about just. You know, you were heavily influenced by his work to try to become a, a broadcaster of sorts, whether it be behind the mic, whether doing a little bit of television, a little bit of radio, even public address announcing. And you just talk about some of the effects that he, he you kind of like tried to like, you know, try to replicate to, to the best of the abilities, because I, I guess my favorite part of Vince Scully was how he told stories. Mm -hmm. I I think Ray, uh, just to to say that, like there's nothing that I'll ever be able to do or nothing that any broadcaster ever puts on a headset or calls a game um, could ever do to emulate uh, Vince Scully, because I think he was on a 
cloud of his own. Like he, he was, there was no one better at that uh, than, than Vim Scully. I think any of us that try uh, to, to duplicate his cadence and to his uh, ability to weave in um, seemingly nonsensical stories, but stuff that actually kind of brought, uh, brought you, brought your ear to the speaker, so to speak. Um, it, it's unmatched. And I think, I think for me in terms of influence, I think just knowing that he was the best and I think more than anything, uh, it's just trying to understand how um, what we do is, uh, especially in baseball, you know, I spent a lot of time calling games by myself throughout the years uh, in my early career with the Roadrunners and the Coyotes uh, baseball franchises here locally, uh, calling those games by myself. And um, it's quite the learning experience on how to kind of approach broadcasting because uh, you don't have anything to bounce things off of. And you start to try to figure out ways to not make the broadcast boring or just to add something to the game that people are already listening. And just try to be friendly with your audience, even though they can't really respond back to you. Um, finding a way to almost talk to them like a friend. And I think Vin Scully certainly uh, executed that better than anyone is is he made you feel like you were part of the conversation of the game it sounded like every time that you watched the dodger game or watched the game that he was on the call for he made you feel like he was the the uncle or the grandfather in the room telling a five six seven year old version of yourself a story of a of a ball player or a person of consequence and it always seemed like everything uh, that came out of his mouth was so planned out and so uh, perfect that uh, that uh, that it was meant to be a part of that broadcast. And the broadcast was meant to unfold the way it was. I, I spent some time yesterday listening to his call of the ninth inning of Sandy Koufax's perfect game, and I was just mesmerized by his pacing and, and the stories he told and and being able to kind of capture the moment uh, just through his words. And I think, I think the, the most important thing about, I think, Vin, though, that we missed, despite his broadcasting excellence, was that uh, he was referred to as a gentleman, someone that was very kind, someone that uh, always spent time uh, to mentor younger people, um, to introduce himself to new people in the press box, um, and just being just an all-around nice person to deal with. And, um, you know, in, in an era where egos tend to be the highest paid personalities in our in our medium, uh, people with loud voices and hot takes, et cetera, um, to be someone that's a, a gentleman and someone that's uh, revered for his kindness, uh, that's more the limb that I would love to, to be uh, a part of, you know, uh, in terms of a broadcasting tree is someone that was considered to be kind and helpful and um, and just grateful to have that type of position rather than someone with a with an ego or just a, a lack of awareness of 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 of, uh, of the stature they actually do hold, you know. Uh, that for me, I mean, you know, the, this goes into a, a different uh, question that segues into Vince Gully. For you, what was the first time? Or what was the last broadcast of Vince Gully 
other than than the uh, Sandy Koufax no hitter, what was the uh, the the previous one that you remember like from a modern game uh, that he called? And and I can tell you mine real quick. It was when uh, the I want to say it was Dodgers Giants. Madison Bumgarner was on the bump, and I can remember hearing Vince Scully tell the story about how Madison Bumgarner saved two rabbits being eaten from a snake during a spring training once. I thought that was like one of the most like appalling stories I'd ever heard. Like if he would have been a national geographics uh, voice for, uh, uh, for nature, he, he certainly had the cadence for it. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh he was somebody that, uh, I think oh, more than anything, I couldn't. You couldn't even figure out where he would get these stories from, and because uh, from what I've been told, he didn't spend a whole lot of time in the clubhouse these days, and he, he spent the or these days or near the end of his career, um, he liked to have that separation between the players. So I think he spent a lot of time talking to sports writers and just reading bi- biographies and uh, talking to talking to the sports writers who had a personal relationship with players and maybe talking to their families, et cetera. But it's incredible uh, the, the stories that, that he would come up with. As far as what games that I remember, I remember when I was in college uh, and I was first starting to get the itch to do this, right, and um, figuring out the path that I was on. And I got the MLB radio package online uh, back when that was like in its infancy. And I remember it being so cool that you could choose between either the home or visitors broadcast and I remember that during the playoffs um, that year, Jose Lima, who I had been a fan of when he was with the Astros, he was pitching for the Dodgers at the time. And uh, the Dodgers were in the playoffs. This was 2004. And uh, they were playing St. Louis in the playoffs. And the only game the Dodgers won in that series was a game three than the one that Jose Lima pitched. And uh, I just remember, I just remember listening to, him kind of speak on Jose Lima and the type of game he was having and it being a bounce back kind of game for him, et cetera. Uh, you know, because he had not pitched particularly well all season, but he was a guy that, uh, you know, that, uh, that did well in that, in that postseason. Um, I think he won, I think he won like 13 games that year. So he wasn't terrible, but he certainly wasn't, he wasn't, was what he was, when he was with the Astros and he kind of felt like he kind of made you feel like this was like the, the game that Jose Lima was hoping to have from his time in Houston, et cetera. Um, so there wasn't like a wacky story that kind of drove me in uh, there, but I, I just, I, I always remember the, the, the big moments he called like as much as, uh, as much as it hated, I hated to hear it as a Red Sox fan. One of the, one of the calls that I remember more than anything is uh, his Buckner call. Um, he was on the call for, for NBC, you know, calling that the the 86 World Series and the ball went through Buckner's legs. And that whole inning, I think, is is really is a really fascinating um, listen if you're a broadcaster and want to listen to the way you kind of set up big moments and try to make sure that you stay with the action, but also try to retell how we got to that point in the game. And I think he was very good at that in late moments situations of like, retelling the story of the game for those that are just now joining. Um, you know, so everyone wants to talk about like the weaving in and out of stories that Ben did, but 
he was as good in big moments as anyone uh, that we listen to now. And I think, uh, I think uh, in this whole remembrance of his passing, we should be remembering not only the poetry that he would give us uh, and the seemingly nonsensical stories, but also his ability to elevate those fantastic and memorable moments of Major League Baseball history. You, you, you bring up an interesting name. The the same Jose Lima that pitched for the Astros and once uh, referenced Enron Field as home run field, correct? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why that, that Jose, the, when you brought up Jose Lima, I instantly thought Enron Field, home run field for some odd reason. Uh, but Alex, I, I will leave you with this uh, one last question. Uh, just okay. switching over to uh, wrestling gears. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon retires amid a lot of issues just outside of WWE. Do you just kind of figure with the uh, entrance of Triple H, uh, there might be a changing of a culture and a culture where, you, you know, wrestlers that could have feared for their job can kind of uh, sort of re- relax a little bit knowing that, okay, the pressure, the, uh, the pressure still on me to perform at a high level. Uh, but now you can do it a little bit more appeasing and knowing that you're not going to have someone watching over my shoulder type of uh, that kind of pressure. I think it's very different than that, Ray, uh, to be honest with you. I think, I think the, the the frustration that talent usually had with Vince uh, or the culture that existed there, or, you know, maybe still to some degree still exists and it's going to be weaned off over the next few years is, is not so much talent being afraid of Vince. It's that it was more that they could not, they felt like they could not uh, be themselves or contribute to their own characters or offer feedback or their own ideas because of the fear of rocking the apple cart with Vince. So a lot of their, uh, uh, you see a lot of talent kind of retreat back to sticking to the script and not going off of that. And couple that with Vince not really understanding this new era of, of, of entertainment and this new era of talent and this new era of the business that things kind of became disjointed, discombobulated, talent get frustrated. You can tell the talent is frustrated. And then you have like situations where talent will walk out or just get released because they feel disinterested or devalued, or they just get devalued because Vince sees nothing in them um, because of a bad decision. I think with Hunter uh, running things now, you know, he's worked with a lot of this talent in NXT uh, when he was running it there from 2015 through about 2019, 2020. Um, and there's already a comfort level with him in terms of contributing to their character and presenting ideas and coming up with their own promos, etc. So I think you're going to see over time a shift in the culture um, and a shift in the way the product is presented. I think, I think it's going to take some time because you still have a writing core uh, that has to write the shows. I mean, writing a three-hour show for a Monday and writing a two-hour show for a Friday and writing a two-hour show for a Wednesday, that's a lot That's a lot of work, and no one person can do that. This isn't the, the 1990s where they had one hour of Monday Night Raw and one hour of syndicated television a week, and that was it. 
writing five, six, seven hours of television is, is takes a lot of people. So the type of forward planning uh, that needs to exist almost needs to happen a little bit del- more delicately and, um, and require change over time to kind of get to a point where, okay, we, we know we want to get here. How do we get, how do we get there? So to speak, we know that in six months at SummerSlam, we want so-and-so to win this championship and we want to elevate him to that point. We can deviate from that plan, but let's make that our plan. What do we do for the next five months to get us to that point? That stopped in WWE. So I think Hunter is used to planning long-term because that's the way they did it in NXT. So I think you'll start to see three-month, four-month, five-month programs with talent as opposed to these one-month, one-offs that you see kind of happen with TV and then to the pay-per-view or special events or whatever they're calling them these days. I do think the culture is going to change there. I I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I still think uh, I still think that there's some changes to be made. Still, I think uh, Nick Khan kind of taking over as you know co CEO after being president uh, for about a year now. Uh, look, the the whole idea of him taking over that job is to get this company ready for a sale. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen too far down the road, and whether it's a and whether it's a company like NBC Universal or you know Comcast as the primary uh, you know uh, organization there, uh, or a Viacom or Disney or someone like Apple or Amazon, kind of come in to to buy them, I, I do think that the company is going to be sold at some point, um, and that adds another wrinkle to that. So you're still kind of I think in the middle part of what are several uh, monumental changes to that company. But in terms of the on-air product, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of immediate changes, but I think you're going to see talent be a lot more loose and a lot happier with the backstage environment, I think is another thing. Um, And I do think you'll start to see some talent maybe return to WWE that may have left um, just for the sake of it being a little bit more easier on talent uh, who go back there and don't feel like they're going to be underutilized or misused. ADB, many, many thanks so much for coming by and, and sharing some of the stories and, and, and a knowledge of everything that you have. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, just give us a reminder when fans can expect your, expect the uh, big high school <coughs> football preview. And I, I know you threw a little, um, uh, a little wrinkle a few months ago, maybe I, I, I may have missed it, but when is spiked coming back? Uh, that's a good, so that's a good question. Uh, so first we'll tell you that uh, our coverage of high school football, obviously the season begins with the first football Friday on the 26th of August. If you can believe that it's three weeks from today, we will have our first high school football Friday. Um, so uh, we will have our high school football preview show on the 24th, which is, uh, which is three weeks from this past Wednesday. Um, and then we'll have our first day of high school football coverage on the 25th. As far as spiked, um, I don't know if it's going to return as the same show, um, meaning the same format. It was a little longer than I wanted it to be after kind of going back and reevaluating. I did like the interview portion and I did like the week to week conversation uh, about about the teams that week. 
it's I think it's going to return in some form. I don't know in what total form. I don't know in what by what name, and I don't know uh, how many times per week. But I do know that it's it's something that I want to do. It's something that I did want to do over the last two years. I think I'm finally in a place um, in terms of like equipment and 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 in terms of just like time of the day. <laughs> Uh, to be able to execute that project again. If you remember when I did it the first time, it was I wasn't really doing a whole lot. So I was kind of doing it as kind of a side project. So hopefully I'll be able to find the time and coordinate with some coaches and be able to do to do that all over again. Because there's some intriguing names that we didn't get to the first time around. Uh, to do obviously some new faces in a lot of different places. And uh, just some folks that I've never really had the chance to have a long form conversation with. So uh, that can be that can be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully uh, at some point uh, later this summer and early part of this fall, uh, we'll have some sort of podcast back. All right. Many thanks, ADB. Thanks for joining us. And folks, this has been another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. <laughs>